Do you know what a caricature is? I use the word. <laughs> Some of us feel afford my definition of caricature is a representation, a pictorial or literary. It's, uh, it looks like the subject's distinctive features are peculiar out to something peculiar about them. And usually they're exaggerated, these photos. Um, for example, you know, we've seen about political figures before. We've seen political figures as caricatures. We've also seen movie stars as caricatures before also. And would you believe it or not, there are about a thousand different versions of Elvis out there. And if you're not careful, you can end up as a caricature. You just never know. And we laugh at these, not this one, but we laugh at these because they don't look like the real thing. I am way better looking in person than I think you're going to be afraid for them. I'm not afraid to say that this morning. So I, I can say that with all security, looking at that picture, I look way better than that. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. As funny as these photos are, I'm worried that we live in a world where we've turned Jesus into a caricature. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous to have a false caricature of who Christ truly is. And here's what I mean by that. And I'm not saying a funny picture of him, but what we turn Jesus into. For some, we turn Jesus into my buddy. Jesus is my buddy. And now we know that Jesus calls us his friends. Jesus is more than just a pal. Jesus is more than just someone we hang out with. Because if we saw Jesus for who he truly was, we would fall flat on our faces. If we saw Jesus for who he truly was, we would be in awe about being in the presence of him. I promise you, when we get to heaven, those of you who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you're standing in front and face to face with Jesus Christ, your Savior, you're not going to stand there and say, hey, dude, what's up? You're going to do the same thing that John said in the first chapter of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus, John said when he saw Jesus face to face, he said, I fell flat from my feet as though I was dead. I fell from my feet as though I was dead because he was overwhelmed by being in the presence of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is more than just my buddy. For some, they call Jesus their good luck charm. That Jesus is my good luck charm. People have this image that Jesus is this charm that you can wear around your neck. I know many people who wear a cross around their neck not because they serve and worship a risen Savior. They wear a cross around their neck because they think it looks cool, but they think it's a good luck charm. It might give them a little bit of peace, a little bit of hope, a little bit of help in times of need. But the thing about it is Jesus is not lucky. He's our Lord. And he's to be worshipped with everything we have and who we are. So he's more than my buddy. He's more than a good luck charm. For some, Jesus is my religious artifact. Which sounds crazy to say that. And here's what I mean by this statement. There are people who put more stock in the church building 
than they do coming to worship the one who are supposed to be coming to worship in the first place. They make the building all about Jesus. They make different trinkets all about Jesus. I saw this a number of couple years ago when I was in Israel. And I shared this with the adult group that we were meeting with from VBS on Sunday nights at our vacation Bible school. In Jerusalem, in the church they have built over what they think is the burial and the resurrection of place where Jesus did all these things according to scripture, there is a slab, a stone slab in this church where people lay their crosses on they brought from home, hoping to receive some kind of special blessing, thinking if they lay this cross on this stone and put it in their house, they'll have Jesus very close to them. And so they put their trust in a religious artifact instead of putting their trust in the great I am. Not only do we see people doing Jesus this way, but they also say, Jesus is my meal ticket. Which sounds crazy to say out loud, but their mindset is, Jesus will give me his favor. Jesus will put his hands upon me and make me healthy and make me wealthy. And the sad part is, there are many people who believe that about Jesus. Not that he's their savior, not that he died for their sins, but they believe that if Jesus is this this meal ticket that they'll be wealthy, they'll be healthy, and nothing will ever happen to them. May I remind you this morning that Jesus does not work for you. You work for Him. He doesn't work for you. He's not your meal ticket. He's not going to make you healthy. He's not going to make you wealthy. Yet this is a mindset for some people. And here's the last one. Jesus is my social conscience. Jesus is my social conscience. And here's how they see Jesus. They see Jesus with helping the horizontal relationships in their life. They see that Jesus was a nice man. That Jesus was a good teacher. So if Jesus was nice and Jesus was good, then I should be nice to people. I should be good to people. The thing is, is, yes, Jesus is the example we're to follow, but Jesus is so much more. So as we picture Jesus this morning, to see the true picture of who Jesus Christ is, nothing can be avoided and nothing should be exaggerated. We have to be careful not to overemphasize one aspect of Jesus and neglect the rest. Take your Bibles this morning, turn to Romans chapter 9. We're going to finish, finish this last little section of chapter 9 this morning in the book of Romans. And notice in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 30. And I want to call your attention to the very first section of Scripture right here. Verse 30, Paul says these words, What shall we say then? With a question mark. Paul writes those words, but another way we can rephrase it is simply this. Here's what I mean. This phrase in verse 30, we find it in Romans 3, 5. We also find it in Romans chapter 9, verse 14. This little section of scripture, verses 30 through 33, we can add it to the end of chapter 9, or we can use it as an introduction to Romans chapter 10. May I remind you last week, in Romans 9, we learn that we need to have the same burden for the loss that Paul had. Paul specifically had a burden for his Jewish brethren. 
But we were also reminded last week that God is sovereign, that God is in control of everything. And because He is sovereign, you and I have a responsibility as to how we respond to Him. What do we do with our lives that show Him He's in control of them? What do we do in our lives to give Him honor and glory? This morning we need to see Jesus for who He really is. And here's how we see Him. With Jesus Christ and knowing who He is, we will either stumble over Him or we will stand on Him. Unfortunately, there are many people who don't stumble over Jesus because they've shrunk Jesus down to a very manageable size. They've taken Jesus and shrunk him so small they can put him in his pocket. Or they put him in a little box that says, break in case of emergency. They've shrunk who Jesus is and his sovereignty and his dominion into this nice little easy format that makes it easier for them so they don't stumble over what he shares. They don't stumble over what he presents to them. But the thing is, there are different things you and I stumble over this morning. There are different things that get in our way in following Jesus Christ. There are different things that get in our way to following Him completely. We make rituals out of different things. We make rules to make our lives a little bit harder. And we forget that the Savior came so we don't have to stumble. This morning, there are going to be three stones on the photo behind me. Every one of those stones, as we go through the service this morning, will have a word inscribed on it. Those three words we're going to see on these three stones are going to help us break down this last section of Romans. Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33. And follow along as we read this section of scripture and we dive into this today. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Jump down to verse 32 for just a second. And look at the latter part of that verse with me. Scripture says, They stumbled at that stumbling stone. The word stumble literally means to strike, to slam, to dash against. It was used to describe travelers who were bumping into an obstacle on their journey that caused them to slip or caused them to fall. This idea of stumbling carries the idea of harm, of offense, of being annoyed and being enraged. We read a lot through the New Testament. This word is usually figurative or spiritual in its meaning. But think about it. How many of you have ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night on something that has been in the same spot for over 20 years? And what happens? We stumble, we hit that object with our pinky toe usually. That's the one that sticks out. And some of us, we stub it so bad that we got to go to the altar in the morning to ask for repentance. And what we said, we stubbed our toe. But think about 
stubbing our toe in the middle of the night. But imagine stubbing your toe on a rock that you see and you're choosing to trip over it instead of acknowledging for what it truly is. This morning, I want you to see these three stones in the same way. As you bump into these stones, I want you to think about what you feel and what you experience when you stumble over them. The first stumbling stone is sinner. The first stumbling stone is sinner. This first stone is going to make us stumble and struggle to admit that you and I are sinners. Look at verse 30 with me again. And look at what Paul says about the Gentiles. He says that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. That word pursue. The word pursue means to run swiftly towards something, to earnestly seek the goal. Remember, the Gentiles are not Jewish, but for the most part, they were outsiders. As we read in the earlier chapters of Romans, yet God had a plan for them because God was seeking a right relationship with them. But instead of running after righteousness, Many people are sliding south into sin. They don't acknowledge the sin in their life. And because they don't acknowledge the sin, their mindset is just a little bit different. Take your Bibles, turn back to Romans chapter 1 for just a moment. And let me remind you of some words that are found here to describe someone who is choosing to live in sin. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 29. And look what it says to me in Scripture. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, look at the next verse, verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practiced them. These people that we read about in these verses in, the, in Romans chapter 1 are a lot like us according to Romans chapter 9 verse 30. They've obtained righteousness but they were not pursuing it. They were not looking for it. This morning, in case you haven't figured it out, you and I are sinners. You do know that, right? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Every one of us is a sinner. And they knew because they were a sinner and speaking to the Galatians and talking about myself and you, we understood that nothing we could ever do would ever qualify us to be religious outside of coming to Jesus by faith. And that's we did in pursuing Him. We came to Him by faith. It was a choice 
that we may ourselves as individuals as a free choice and a free gift given to us. Many people who come to Jesus weren't looking for him at the time, but he came searching for them. The Galatians received something they weren't looking for. They weren't striving for it. They weren't searching for it. But notice what Scripture says at the very end of verse 30. They received it by faith. So having a right relationship with God is not something you can work for because it comes as a gift. And here's what I put in your outline this morning. Righteousness is a gift of God's grace, not a reward for hard work. You will never work your way into heaven. I don't care how hard you try, how hard you think it's going to be, you can't get there. Listen, bringing your Bible to church every Sunday will not get you into heaven. Coming to Sunday school will not get you into heaven. Putting your tithes and offerings in the box in the front lobby will not get you into heaven. But let me remind you what Scripture says. Isaiah 65 verse 1 says this, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. This morning, you are a sinner, and my prayer is that you don't keep stumbling over this stone that keeps you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And listen to the good news. If you're a sinner, that's why Jesus came in the first place. Because he came for the sinner, not for the saved. Matthew 9, 13 says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But can I also remind you this morning, that sin can cause us to miss the message. Sin can cause us to ignore what we're hearing this morning. And we can allow sin to take hold of us and keep us in bondage. First Peter chapter 2, verse 8 says this. They stumble because they disobey the message. They stumble because they disobey the message. Because they're allowing sin to lead them. But then I go back to Abraham. And I go back to Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. And scripture says this. Talking about sin. And it says that if you do not do what is right. Sin is crouching at your door. And desires to have you. But you must master it. And I said to Abraham. And what I meant to talk about was Cain. Cain heard those words. When Cain tried to argue with God after killing his brother, and God told him about sin crouching, you can hear the message and choose to ignore the message. And as long as you ignore the message of who God is, and you ignore the message that Jesus Christ died for your sin, you're going to keep stumbling over this stone called sin. Or you're going to allow it to keep tripping you up because you won't acknowledge it's there in the first place. So sin is that first stone that gets in the way and keeps us from completely following Christ. Here's the second stone. Savior. The first stone is sin. We acknowledge the sin in our life. The second stone is Savior. Look at me in verse 31 of Romans chapter 9. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained 
to the law of righteousness. They're pursuing this righteousness based on the law, but they have not attained it. They have not received it. The Jewish people struggled with this because they would not acknowledge their need for a Savior. They would rather pursue the law, keep the commandments. It was almost as if they were trying to reach for Him, but He was out of reach. They kept grasping at Him. They kept trying to think, if I get a little bit closer, I can attain righteousness. I can be in right relationship with God. And the problem is they're grasping at something that they're never going to reach. In Scripture, you see the word attain. Attain means to come suddenly or unexpectedly upon a goal. Israel's working very hard, but they couldn't get where they needed to be because they're pursuing for the wrong reason. They're trying to live by the law instead of by grace. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. And I want to show you what happens when we try to make law living our way to God. When we try to keep the law as our access to God. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ was redeemed, who has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Remember, the Jews tried to keep the law. They offered gallons upon gallons of blood as a sacrifice for repentance of sin. They followed dietary laws we read about in the book of Leviticus, and did whatever they could to keep themselves in right relation with God, thinking that was the ticket. Why believe in a Savior when I can do all these things and check them off of my list? Go back to Romans 9 and look at verse 32. Remember I told you that they're trying to obtain the law by pursuing it. But verse 32 gives us clarity of what's, what's going on with the Jews and with other people that we know and love. Notice this, verse 32. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Why couldn't they find what they were looking for? Because the righteousness they were seeking, they thought, was based on works, but it comes only by faith. Listen, God doesn't want us to keep some ritualistic practices. He doesn't want us to be rule keepers. He wants us to follow Him and have a relationship with Him. Again, I go back to where I was supposed to go the first time, back to Abraham. Remember Abraham? Abraham, Scripture simply says this about Abraham over in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham 
Nowhere in Scripture does it say Abraham had to be baptized. Abraham had to memorize the Ten Commandments. Abraham had to know how many books were in the Bible. Abraham had to go to Sunday school. He had to bring his Bible. He had to give an offering. No, the Scripture says he attained this by faith because God was searching for him. For you and for me, God is searching for us. But the problem is we don't want to admit we're a sinner. We don't want to admit we need Jesus. And that was the issue of the Jews. They didn't want to admit they needed a Savior. They didn't look at Jesus as their Savior. And because they could not see Jesus as the Messiah, we read in verse 32, they stumbled on that what was called the stumbling stone. But this verse should not surprise us because if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says these words, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. They were looking for a mighty Messiah to come in on a big white horse and remove the Roman Empire. That was their expectation of Jesus. That was their caricature of Jesus. That's what they wanted. But the reminder for us is the same thing it was for them when looking, look at this, while looking for a bold lion. And I reworded this statement three times this week because I had today, I wanted to make it personal. While looking for a bold lion, we missed the bleeding lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. The Jews wanted a bold lion. People today want Jesus to be their friend, to Jesus to be their, their artifact. They don't want to see Jesus as that lamb dying for their sins. And because the Jews couldn't recognize this, because the Jews couldn't see somebody dying for their sins, Jesus, in their minds, did not meet their expectations. Jesus didn't look like what they were hoping for. There was nothing special about Jesus. Isaiah tells us that. There was nothing that stood out about him. He looked like everybody else. The difference was he was the Son of God. And he came to take away the sins of the world. Yet the Jews couldn't see that. They acknowledged he was a good teacher. They acknowledged he was a good man. But they could not see him as being the Son of the Father. Yet scripture tells us that Jesus would be a stumbling block. That Jesus would literally cause people to stumble when coming to them. Simeon, when Jesus was born, Simeon, the prophet said this when he looked at Mary, and he looked at Joseph, when he looked at this child, and he said, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Then later in Matthew, it says that they took offense of him. But here's the offense according to one commentator. This is what this writer said. The offense of the cross at which they stumbled is not simply the fact that it is a cross, whereas they expected of a messianic throne. The cross offended them because it summoned them to begin their religious life from the very beginning at the foot of the crucified with the sense upon their hearts of an infinite debt to him which no works could ever repay. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, that's where it starts for us. 
Ezra starts for us in our life today in our devotion for him because he took my sins upon himself. He took your sins upon him and hung on the cross and died for them. Because he died for them, we should acknowledge his Savior. We shouldn't be tripping over a stone that gets in the way from us having a relationship with him. Yet we read 31 and 32. That's the issue of the Jews. They stumble over the Savior because they cannot see him for who he truly is. But may I remind you this morning that when you come to Jesus the Lord and Savior, you are never the same again. Take your Bibles from Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew 21 is some of the strongest language that Jesus shares about those who come in contact with him are never the same again. Think about Jesus' ministry for just a moment. When Jesus ran into individuals, they were never the same again. Many chose to accept him and receive him and follow him, but many chose to reject him. But no one was ever the same when they came face to face with the Savior. In Matthew 21, jump with me down to verse 42. And notice what Jesus says here. Jesus said then in verse 42, Have you never read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus said the stone that the builder rejected is now the chief cornerstone of the building for the believers he is making. But then look what he says in verse 43. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruit. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Jews. He's saying, guess what? Listen closely. God's going to remove his kingdom from you and give it to a nation that is bearing fruit. The nation that was bearing fruit would be the Gentiles. This is the same nation we read about last week when the Gentiles are part of the family of God. But then jump down to verse 44, that same chapter. He says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him into power. What Jesus is saying there is either we will be humbled and broken so that we believe in him, or we're going to be hardened and end up being crushed by him. Listen, you will either stumble and fall over Jesus or become humbled and call on him. Jesus is going to do one of two things. He's going to cause you to stumble and fall away from him or cause you to come to him and be humble. The first stone is acknowledging you're a sinner. The second stone is acknowledging your need for Jesus as Lord and Savior. But the third stone, the third stone is, is, is by far the hardest of the three stones. Yes, it's hard to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Yes, it's hard to say that publicly, that you're a sinner and you fall short of God's glory and grace. Sometimes it's hard for some to confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is more than what they could ever imagine or hope for. Because they put Jesus in a box, they can't see him for who he truly is. But this third stone, 
The first one is the hardest. And here it is. Simple. Simple. Look with me at verse 33 back in Romans chapter 9. We stumble over the fact that we're a sinner and when we're in crisis, we need to confess our need for a Savior. But this third stone that we stumble over, we stumble over because salvation is simple. Salvation is not complicated. Because look what verse 33 says. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. I want to point out a couple things in this verse for just a second. Notice the phrase in there, as it is written. That is a perfect tense. And what that means is this is authority. This is binding. It stands for all eternity. Paul, as we've been reading through Romans over these last few weeks, Paul loves the quote from the Old Testament. And it's a good reminder for us that we need to know the full word of God so we can quote it as well. Paul is combining, when we read verse 33, he's actually combining two different passages in Isaiah. He's combining Isaiah 8.14, which says this, A stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap that inhabits the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble over them, and they will fall and be broken, and they will even be snared and caught. And then in Isaiah 28, 16, Isaiah says this, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. So Paul combines these two passages from Isaiah. And here's the big picture. Here's the big outcome from this verse. Jesus is either a rock of refuge or a stone. But it becomes offensive to some people because of their pride. Because they don't want to admit they're a sinner. They don't want to admit they fall short of God's glory. Man thinks that it's based on their merit and on their works that gets them to heaven. Listen, for you and for me, here's the requirement and why it's so simple. Because it involves trust. Do you trust Him? Because once we settle the fact that yes, we're a sinner, and we see Jesus as our Savior, we call that trust. And it's a very simple trust. Jesus used to would point out the desire for those to work for their salvation. Listen to what it says in John chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what it says in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. It says that he said of him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? This is the crowd talking. He's saying, Jesus, what do we have to do to work our way into heaven? What do we have to do to be in right standing with God? Verse 29 says these words. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. So there's the question this morning. Do you believe in the one who was sent? Do you believe in the one who has come to die 
for your sin. Because again, Romans chapter 9, verse 33 says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. The word trust, whoever believes, whoever trusts in him, that is a present tense. That means it is always true. It is true today. It's true tomorrow. It's true next month. It's true next year. There is a door that has been opened to you to receive the gift of salvation. And if you walk through that door, you'll never be put to shame. Scripture says that. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Yes, it is difficult to acknowledge my need for a Savior. Yes, it is difficult to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. But it's also difficult to understand that it is also so simple. It is so simple to trust Him. It is so simple to believe He's going to do what He says. So I'm going to try and experiment this morning in our remaining time together. I'm going to read a series of statements. And I simply want you all to say this statement. Make this statement. I will trust Him. That's all I want you to say. I will trust Him. With hurricanes and other weather-related catastrophes, with the uncertainty of our economy, with higher gas prices, food prices, utility costs, say it like you mean it. With everything that's going on in Washington, with whatever I am facing, Listen to this last one. I own the fact that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And now by simple faith, I receive Him into my life. I trust Him. Again, Jesus is either the rock of refuge or He's a stumbling stone. Either you're going to stand on that rock and trust Him to lead you and guide you. Or you're going to stumble over it because you're allowing it to not serve its purpose. And look at it again, verse 33. Those who trust in Him will never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame if you put your trust in Him. Will people make fun of you? Yes. Will people say you've lost your mind? Yes. But you will never be put to shame. You will never have to doubt that Jesus is who He says He is and He has done what He's done for you. And you will never stumble over Him because He is Lord of your life because you're pursuing Him. You're wanting to grow in your walk, walk with Him. He is either that rock of refuge or He's that stumbling stone. So you trust Him because here is the danger. I do not want to be content with the character of Christ. Because guess what? This picture up here, that's not my Jesus. That is not what I put my hope in. That is not what I put my trust in. The sad part is there are many who will. Because they want to keep him in this little shame. They don't want to see him as the lamb who died for our sins. They don't want to see him as the risen Savior. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a caricature of Christ. I don't want my Christian life to be a caricature because I want the real thing. I want to serve the risen Savior. I want to serve the one who died for my sins. But I have to acknowledge these three stones and make sure I don't keep stumbling over them. Every head bowed and every eye closed.
As we move to a time of response this morning, I'm going to ask the question I've asked repeatedly this morning. Is Jesus a rock of refuge or a stumbling stone to you? This morning, if you've never acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're stumbling over the stone of being a sinner because you've never acknowledged that in your life. For some, you can say you're a sinner, but you have a hard time acknowledging Jesus because he doesn't fit your expectations. He doesn't fit to what you think he looks like. For others, you're stumbling over that stone, stone of the fact that salvation is simple. You simply trust Him. You believe He died for your sins, rose from the dead, and is one day coming back for you. That is the simplicity of the gospel. You acknowledge you're a sinner, your need for Christ, and confess Him goodness. This morning, you may be stumbling over one of these stones. My prayer is that you would put your trust and faith and hope in the one that can help you navigate through these stones. So you never have to trip over and over them again. But it starts by acknowledging your sin. It starts by acknowledging your need for a Savior. And it starts by acknowledging the fact that the gospel is sin. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that your will be done. And Father, you will speak into the lives and the hearts of individuals. 